Hello, this is Yara Stark, and welcome to an Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. Today, I have a good friend of mine who is a well, I know him best as an okay tennis player. We have played tennis <laughs> together, but an exceptionally good <laughs> copywriter. Uh, his name is Brett Thompson, and I can't even remember how we first met. I, I'm, I'm assuming it's an event probably on the Gold Coast here in Australia where we first met through all of our, our local internet marketing connections. And I thought it was about time to get Brett on to really talk about uh, what he's good at and also how he basically uh, turned his skill into something that uh, became a business. And he's obviously you know, self-employed, runs a business, makes good money doing what he does in the world of copywriting. So, uh, Brett, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Yara. I appreciate that, mate. And I've, um, I'll quickly clear up that I think um, I'm up on the tennis scale as far as I'm beating you, fair to say. We really um, should go back and, and count the numbers <laughs> to be sure. You know, maybe that, that is total true. games won as well. Probably, actually, that probably works in your favor. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> let's focus on the, yeah, uh, the, yeah, the subject at hand cool. here. But, um, but I will say, I do remember when we first met. I was at an Andrew and Daryl Grant's event. We were both guest speakers and um and we went out for dinner that night and there was you know a stack of people and and um i pulled up a chair next to you and we kind of connected and and i admit to being um like when there's people on levels of their knowledge of internet there's there's high tech um low tech and no tech i hover between the no tech and the low tech <laughs> and and you used to boast how many um names you'd make every day from from your blog and i was i was impressed because my only way of of adding people to my list was going to collect business cards and then putting them in. So it was a different end of the scale from you, but we, you know, we got on a house on fire and it's been cool ever since. Right. So it's probably been a long time coming to get you onto this show, Brett. So let's, has, let's, let's find out who you are. So I already know some of the story and I'm sure there's a lot I don't. Uh, and in particular, you know, for the people listening, they, they love stories of people who are doing their own thing. So uh, I'm, I'm thinking though that wasn't always the case for you, so maybe you can take us back. Um, did you even go to school in the Gold Coast? Is that where you brought up? No, I grew up um, the northern beaches of Sydney, a place called Mona Vale. Um, lived there for 16 years. Um, then my my old man got a, um, a, a he got transferred to uh, to the Gold Coast. So I did year 11, and we um, moved to Tweed Heads, or Coolangatta Tweed Heads area on, on the Gold Coast. And I did year 11, 12. Um, at you know Tweed River High down there. So, and then we've been there, um, been on the Gold Coast. Then I moved back um, after school, moved up to the um, Central Gold Coast area around the Rubina area. Rubina area. Now you're a copywriter. Now, were you good at writing back in school in those days? Like, did you, <laughs> did you notice the talent? Definitely not. I, I can honestly say I went through all of school. It was a big social event for me, um, and. And reading was just—I was the bottom English class all the way through school. Even in my when I did Year Twelve for English, there was there was um, a, a bottom base English class which I was in, and it was um, yeah, it was pretty dismal. And because I just did not like reading and did not like writing, and um, and, and if there's any way I could have avoided it, I would have. And like for instance, if we had to write about it, a book, I'd try and find a movie or something. I just. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and I remember when I finished school, I I remember celebrating and, and put my hands in the air, thinking this is fantastic. I never have to read a book again. And uh, and I remember in my twenties, sometime I did one of the one of the things I did read was an article in the newspaper, which was because really between after school and most of my twenties, I was 
a very very heavy investor and I, but I invested all all my money into my social life <laughs> and, <laughs> and I remember reading an article that said um, how alcohol can have a negative um, it can impact your brain and I thought what and I read that and I said and I made a decision from that day on I was never ever going to read again <laughs> But, you know, you, you should not be a person who makes a living with writing, judging by everything you're saying now. And know, <laughs> even, don't take offense at this, but even how you talk, Brett, um, you know, like you don't come across as a, you know, the person who sits down and spends hours a day writing. How did, uh, how did this transformation happen? Um, how did it happen? I, I, I was blessed with um, unexpectedly with twin boys and all of a sudden my priorities changed and, and I realised the most important thing in in the world and my life was to be a good dad and um, I realised that my social and partying ways weren't going to really um, support um, being a dad to my boys. So I, got the, I, I had the urge that I really wanted to turn my life around and at the time I was... Um, Living with there was seven of us um, bachelors living. I was living with nightclub owners. This is a big pad of, of all the boys. And um, how old and, are you? Uh, I think I was um, twenty-two. Yep, around right. about twenty-two. So, yeah. Um, and um, anyway, the, the guy who owned the nightclub he was a bit different to everyone else because in his room it was full of books, and he he just had this intelligence which I always respected, and I. I, and I just had the urge to um, better myself and improve myself and 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 become um, become smarter. To be honest, with you. I really, really wanted. I thought more knowledge was going to help me achieve that. So I remember I walked into my mate's room. There's a stack of books, and I'm just looking at them, thinking, "Where do I start?" And, I, and this one book jumped out at me, and on the spine it said, um, "How to Awaken the Giant Within" from Anthony Robbins. And I pulled it out, and, it, and it was, the subtitle was something along. How to de- um, design your financial, emotional, and um, healthy life of whatever something along those lines. And this was 365 pages. It was a monster book to start, but I thought this is where I'm starting. And, and after about 80 pages, I'd given up all bad habits and just really. Um, oh, look, I might have been very naive, but I really bought into the concept that you can actually create your own destiny and just design the life of your dreams. Because I hadn't heard it at school. I hadn't heard it at um, friends or family. It was just a foreign concept to me. So I um, I took that on board and I became um, an avid book reader from then on. And I just, just I, I had a ravenous appetite for devouring books and just becoming smarter. And, and, and I don't know if you've ever met someone who first get into per- personal development, but I, I was, I swear I was like preaching it to people on the street. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that's what I did. I just really, um, took that concept on board and, and believed it and turned my car into a mobile university of success with CDs from um, Zig Ziglar and, um, and Anthony Robbins, you name it, all the all the, the guys we know today. But um, And that was became my kind of hobby, really. Okay. Um, you were and, working a job, I assume, at this time, like normal yep. 22-year-old would be, right? That's right. I um, At the time, I was um, working at a nuts and bolts shop selling nuts and bolts and tweed heads. And um, and from from this, um, I eventually got into sales and um, and got and did fairly well at there. But you know, see, here's the thing, Yara. I I took that job when I was in my early twenties, just just to support my social life, really. 
And here's the thing: if you don't really um, set goals for yourself um, later, like through life, you know, you can really get stuck. And I, I was there for um, 15 years later, still there, right? And, and admittedly, I'd done fairly well. I became um, into sales, got sales manager, ended up managing the whole the whole business, which is cool. But um, um, but I just realised there was something inside of me. Knew I was meant to be doing something else. I didn't know what it was, but there was just something eating away at me that um, was yeah. I was, I was meant to be doing something else with my life. Um, so you spent 15 years uh, at the, in this in this sort of sales role. So pretty much all of your 20s and into your mid 30s. Correct. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So you, you know you, you're not an old man right now. So you this transition to being your own boss is actually quite recent still in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, absolutely. And and in that time. Um, I got into um, network marketing, and you know that's that's not something I promote or endorse now. But I will say um, that as far as a, a um, kind of bare knuckles, you know, hardcore sales training, man, that is it. Like if when it comes to dealing with people and learning how to sell, um, you know, network marketing, because um, that that just really um, sharpen and hone my skills on how to. Um, on how to sell, because because really the, the, nothing else really prepared me to be one of Australia's best copywriters right now. There was nothing else except for my um, selling ability face to face. So when I was in the nut and bolts company, I used to, you know, dressed as a typical geeky sales rep. We, I used to have to walk on a building site and and approach these hard yakka builders, and and man, you've got like about ten seconds to capture their attention, and otherwise they'll tell you where to go. So I got very quick and very good at, um, at, at um, you know, engaging them in the conversation and 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 moving them towards, you know, buying myself time to to get my story out and and also moving them towards a sale. And same with the network marketing, man. I don't know if you've ever been involved in that or, or met someone who nags you and just persistently tries to get you to come on a meeting, but that's pretty hard, Yaka. That's not not an easy thing. And um, and look, I made some pretty cool money out of it, but nothing great. And I ended up realising there was better and faster ways to make money. But the skills and the personal development I got from that really um, put me in good stead to um, make that transition and make some very good money very fast through copywriting. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you can you can tell us how this transition went about. So you spent, sounds like, 15 years doing a combination of working a job in sales for nuts and bolts, doing yep. some um, network marketing, I'm assuming you're doing a whole lot of reading books throughout this period too, which sounds like in the personal development and probably in, in marketing would be the, the two areas you did most of your reading. Would that be right? Absolutely. And and really when it comes to um, copywriting, that's I, that's a role you, you, I see myself. I have to motivate people to take action and it's getting harder and harder to do that. So all the books that I read were very motivating and, and some of the stories that I read were, you know, were, um, the way they wrote them were motivating people to do something with their lives, and and I I see that as what I what I do when I take on a client. I have to motivate their prospects to click the button or go through and, and pay for their course or turn up to a seminar, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So it, it's um it all makes sense now. But the transition was different really because um, as I said, I had this um I had a, a a whisper that turned into a roar, and and I knew I wanted to do something else with my life. Um, and I was so fanatical about personal development. And, and as my kids were, um, my twin boys were um, about, how old? they would have been about 11 or 12. And my other, I had another little boy who was about uh, eight. 
and I thought, you know, all this stuff I'm learning, this is phenomenal stuff, life-changing stuff. And I've, I've, I noticed so many things in my life improving just because I was immersing myself in this stuff. I thought I never learned this at school. So what I thought I want, I want to do is create a program for kids between 7 to 13-year-olds and teach them um, communication skills, self-esteem, self-confidence, all the good stuff that you don't learn at school. So what I did, I, um, I went around and asked all my friends, all my contacts, do you think this is a good idea? And everyone was unanimous, said, yeah, that's a great idea, Brad. Go for it. I said, right. So um, so I handed in my resignation. Took, and, wow. <laughs> you know, because I worked it all out. I thought, all right, this is, I'm going to do this. And dived in and, and did you and, save up any money from your job prior to that? Or? Yeah, I, I had a uh, long service leave and I took that. Okay. And um, so and and because I, I was in this world of this bubble of personal development, I didn't think I could fail. <laughs> and um, and I thought, right here we go. So um, and every, all my friends were correct. Every single person I spoke to, every single one was 100%. I said, that's a great idea, Brett. The only problem was no one was prepared to pay for it. So I, I realized very, very quickly that, you know, um, you have to, I had to learn about marketing. And, and that's one thing I go against. A lot of people say, follow your passion and, and the money will come. You know, I think that's a bit of a crock, <laughs> you know, in a nice way, because it's okay to follow your passion and sure you can get some um, extra benefits. But if you want to put money in the bank and support your passion, and your lifestyle, you've got to know how to market yourself. Okay, so um, so I learned very quickly. I had to learn marketing, and I found myself in a in a seminar from um, a gentleman by the name of Mal Emery here in Australia. And so I was, um, and look at that stage, I'd pretty much blown all of my long service leave, um, and I, and I was just on bare bare bones. And so I was sitting in the in the audience, and and Mal, known as the Millionaire Maker, um, in Australia, he came up on stage. And he said, right, what I'm going to share with you next has put more money in my bank account than anything I'd done in my whole life. And I said, and I said, wow. I said, whatever comes out of this. It's called The Art of Writing Persuasive. The, the Art of Writing Brett, Persuasive. We, we just lost the critical point you were about to make there. <laughs> you said, whatever this going to call this guy's mouth next, and then you cut off. So you just want to gotcha. say that again? Okay, well, he came up on stage and he said, um, yeah, whatever, I said, whatever's going to come out of this guy's mouth, I'm going to do it. And he said, okay, he said, this skill has brought him more money than anything I've ever done in my life, and that is, it's the art of writing persuasive words to motivate people to take action, better known as emotional direct response copywriting. And I went, no, out of everything, I don't want to do that. I hate reading you know, I hate writing. I've only just started reading, but um, I said, "Oh, bugger it!" I didn't really want to do that, but I, but I, I said, "Yeah, all right, I'm going to learn this." And um, and he invited a um, gentleman by the name of Pete Godfrey up on stage, and he did a cool presentation, and and um, and that's where it all started. I started. Um, I spent my last five hundred dollars and went to another seminar and, and started learning that, and I got very, very good, very quick. So much so, I started applying these skills into my um, kids' motivational business that I was doing. I started sending out emails to my small database and um, and then all of a sudden I just started getting a response, you know, and, and started putting people, started filling up my little events. And then people started ringing me and said, Brett, 
who's doing your sales pages and who's writing your emails and who's, who's doing your sales copy? And I said, well, it's me. And they said, well, um, look, I'm doing a promotion. Would, um, are you open to, you know, if we pay you some money, you can write out ours? And I thought, well, since I'm not earning any money, yes, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> so let me get this straight. You were, you'd already set up your kids' education, motivation. Um, sounds like you were going to do live events is how you are going to run that. Sure business so you'd already set up a system to you know build an email list and, and contacts and and promote your events and you and you ended up writing your own copy for that through the skills you were learning about copywriting and that then uh, turned out to be what i guess the first paying customer came to you for yeah absolutely and then that that went on and on and on and then um when i said on and on more people started contacting me and I started getting very good results for my clients. Okay. Cause, um, you, you have to break down this though. Like if someone comes to me and says, hi, I want to pay you to do copywriting and you've never done that before um, mm-hmm. and you've just kind of only started to even do this copywriting thing for yourself, how do you figure out how much to charge, um, You know, gauge how long it's going to take you to work with someone else and, and get the information you need to write their copy, all these new things for you? Yeah, good point. Uh, um, at, see, Copywriting became um, my new passion of hobby, you know, and I and um, so I, I was reading every book. I was reading everything from um, Ted Nicholas, Joe Sugarman, Dan Kennedy, um, Pete Godfrey here in Australia, um, uh, Gary Benzerbenka, Gary Halbert. So, look, to be honest with you, I, I, um, I, I started to get a feel of what copywriters could earn, but I didn't have the um, confidence to dare charge that. So the first sales that I charge somebody was um i think it was eighteen hundred dollars you know um for a full long form sales page um which some people think that's great but um the amount of work i put into it wasn't really good return on um dollar hour ratio for me but but yeah to be to answer your question where did i learn that from was just through immersion of um of of me doing courses and i and um and 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 reading really mm. and and that's a fair price given you didn't have I guess the credibility yet in terms of a a bunch of case studies where you've helped people. Mm, correct. Yeah. yeah. So um. So yeah. So look that and then then a little while later I got a phone call and um and someone said um I answered the phone and said a oh, hybrid it's um, Mal Emery here and I went ah oh, very funny who is it. And he said, no, it's, it's actually Mal Emery. <laughs> really? And he said, look, I've just come across a sales letter you've done. Um, and I, I, um, and it's, I was very impressive, one of the best I've seen in a long while. And he said, I've got a team of about 12 copywriters um, and I, we'd, we'd bring on work for clients and would you like to be part of the team? I said, absolutely. Um, so I was doing big copywriting packages and um, for Mal, which is cool, you know. And, and then all of a sudden I've got I – I can use Mal's name – as a bit of credibility booster for me in the marketplace, um, and some of these copywriters have been with him for for years and years. And um, but six months after that, um, Mal rang me again and um, offered me six figures to be his personal copywriter. He picked me out of the bunch because I was getting the best results. And and um, so look, I did a couple of years as his um, right hand man, doing all his copy for all his events, you name it. And um, and then. Um, from there, um, I've been doing my own coaching programs and, and seminars, and because and, I love teaching, I found found something I really do is enjoy is, is teaching people how to do this because I know it can happen fast, you know, when you've got the right tools and the right right teacher. So that's okay. been cool. Okay, you're gonna have to break that down a bit. So you, because you went from pretty much 
nothing to attending an event, hearing the word copywriting, to immersing yourself, immersing it, immersing yourself in that subject and and getting to know copywriting really well, um, mm. having success with your first client, and then it sounds like Mel. Do you even know how he found you, or just was it a, a reference from someone else, or just searching Google for other um, uh, copywriters? Well, some, or? well, at the time, I, I never, I never had um, was short of finding clients because people used to come to me. Just word used to go, you know, a copywriter, and and, um, and and people just used to contact me. And and, and one of the clients I did a, a sales letter for was in Mal's group, and Mal critiqued it, and he was um, blown away. And then I remember. Um, his secretary said to me confidentially, she said, Brett, he's been walking around this office um, with your sales saying, who is this guy? He said, he hasn't seen any copy like this since the great Gary Halbert. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so look, it, so that's really where it came from. Just, I just worked for one of his clients and it kind of got back to him. But um, another okay, cool so, thing. Oh, go ahead. Yep. Sorry, what's that? Uh, just you say your bit and then I'll ask my question. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, actually, ask the question because it's, an, it's another. Um, well, no, I'll tell you another thing that happened around that time, which is pretty important. Um, I, I started, I joined Mal's program, and I was at one of his events. Um, and again, I was still fairly green, but some um, this guy came up on stage and was selling business opportunities for a direct mail business where he had these products, um, and you could sell, you could buy the licensing right for them for different states of Australia. Um, and at the time. I met met a um, a friend of mine, a guy who is now a good friend, Andy, and we did a 50/50 joint venture. He was going to buy the uh, marketing, the Queensland distribution rights, and I was going to do the sales copy, and we we're going to go 50/50. I said, okay. So um, now these these products which were struggling to sell for about $498 all around Australia. Um, what were we, they? Um, it was kind of how-to products on how to become a wedding planner, how to become a digital photographer, how to become a desktop publisher and things like that. Just little DVD courses for um, $498. Mm-hmm. We put lead generation ads in newspapers and then they opt in for a free report, which is a sales letter, and we'd follow them up on the phone and close the sale. So um, anyway, he, he presented it from stage and the numbers sounded really cool. The reality of it was that it wasn't that cool at all. <laughs> um but I, I quickly went in there and just redid the copy. Now, here's the thing. Everyone around Australia was struggling to sell that for $498. And I all I did was change the sales copy and the lead generation ads. And I was able, able to sell the same product for $1,498. And I outsold every other distributor by 600%. Only by changing the words on the on the you know, sales sales copy. So um so that kind of elevated my profile to a whole new level again. Um, okay, well, that, that, that leads in perfectly to my next question then, Brett. Uh, it, you know, it, listening to this, it sounds like you're special <laughs> <laughs> because you grasped this subject. Sure, you did a lot of study in it, but you, I mean, getting a comment like getting compared to Gary Halbert, that's pretty huge. Um, what I want to know is, you know, why are you good at this? And maybe can you even tell us, like, what what is it about your copy and, and in general copywriting that, that that is so powerful? Like, can you maybe pass on some tips for sure. anyone here who wants to do some copywriting or, or is even thinking about hiring someone? Sure, absolutely. Look, there's, 
look, there's 101 things you can be great at at the copywriting, but there's five things that I got very good at very fast, which really made a big impact. Um, and then um, number one thing I got very good at understand very well, which is the one people most people avoid, the most thing, the most uh, avoided topic, which is that is the researching part and um, understanding who your ideal client is, what their hot buttons are, what their objections are, and things like that. See, a lot of people um, they have. Um, they kind of skimp on this subject and then start getting into the copy. But, you know, here's, here's what most um, high-paid copywriters won't tell you, but 80% of the time that, you know, we, we spend on copywriting is actually um, not writing at all. It's the research and the study and maybe 20% is actually writing. But you don't tell your clients that because they, they find that hard to, you know, if they're paying you, you know, $10,000, $20,000 for a campaign and they know just you, you've only – wrote it in the last three or four days <laughs> you know they um they find that hard to, to justify but that's where the magic comes from the magic comes from and that's where um is understanding who who you write into and, and how to communicate with them and, and find out what's going to um what's going to motivate them to take action so um so how i do that is is um is surf surveys you check out forums i, I um, find out who the ideal client is and i might have, I'll interview them over Skype or take them out to lunch, find out one. Can you give me an example, Brett, where you've done this? Just so, I, you know, clients come on board and they're selling something. Tell us an example. All right, well, here's an extreme example. Well, um, a, a seminar promoter brought me on to um, – they had a, a, a product selling some real estate stuff. Um, so they sent me the DVD um, of, of this presentation and I, so I watched it. Uh, at least ten times, I was writing down everything he said, and 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 so this is a product. lot of stuff. You, they they yeah. sent you the product they were selling. Okay. Uh, well, no, this is the intro night, right? Um, okay, for, so where, you're tr- they, they wanted you to help them get people to the event to sell a product, and they sent you a recording of the intro event. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And I watched that dozens and dozens of times, and because really, an intro event is like if you got that transcribed, pretty much a sales letter when you think about it, because you're trying to sell them to that they're selling the product on stage. Um, in, in a roundabout way, but not exactly. But anyway, so I'd, I'd watched, I'd, I'd gone through this DVD um, start to finish dozens of times. Um, now they were having another intro night in my local area, and I decided to go along. And um, then someone asked me, "Well, why would you go along if you've already seen it?" And I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, so I know I went along, but I also did something different. I, I wanted to find the most skeptical person that I knew, who doesn't matter what they saw, they'd always throw a negative um, kind of scepticism remark at it. And lucky for me, that was my dad. (laughs) (laughs) He was um, an ex-bank manager, so he'd he'd sat and listened to so many different hair-brain-eye schemes to try and get his bank to borrow money. And and plus, he'd lived with me, and I was always a bit of an ideas guy. Um, So anyway, we went along. I um, started – I I didn't announce to people in the audience that I was – the marketing guy, I just pretended I was with them. So I struck up conversations before the event started at the water cooler, said, you know, how did you find out about this? You know, said, you know, what's your feeling on it? Do you know anything about it? So I, I started just doing some research and just speaking with people. And um, then when we, when we went into the seminar, um, I purposely sat at the back and the presentation started. Um, and I'd seen it dozens of times, but what I'd look for is um, – the, the body language of the audience when when he said something and people started nodding in agreement I'd write that down if if they started 
you know, yawning or getting agitated, I'd write that down because that wasn't the hot button. If someone put their hands up and asked a question, I'd write it down word for word, then I'd write his answer out word for word. Um, it was great researching because all that stuff helped. Because here's the thing, when people are trying to buy something online, they don't have the luxury of putting their hands up and asking the speaker, you know, if they've got an objection. So, and I've always, what I teach my students is an objection missed is a sale missed. So I have to, I have to know every single objection and, um, Sure enough, my, my dad had a heap of objections, so I wrote them down as well. And, you know, the cool thing was the speaker um, answered all my dad's objections perfectly, absolutely perfectly, except for one, and he lost a sale because one objection missed is a sale missed. Mm-hmm. So, um, what, do so you remember what that objection was, just by curiosity? Uh, no, no, I can't mm. remember, actually. It was... Um, no, nah, it's off the top of my head, I can't remember. But, um, but it was, again... Um, it's that's the kind of the the level of research and I go to to, to find out. Um, that's a lot of work. Like, how are you doing that for every sort of client, or how, like is that necessary for every product no, you promote? Well, if, no, not really. I mean, look, you know, these these guys are paying me some some uh, big dollars, and and it was worth my while. And really, I don't take on a, on a project unless I I believe that I can make a difference. Um, so so if if I you know. If, if someone's selling a product, for instance, um, I'll find out, identify who the ideal client is, and then I'll, I'll um, ask the person who bought me on my client. I said, "Do you mind if I contact your um, your your clients and, and and ask them a few questions?" So they'll give me a list of their clients, and I'll ring them up and just talk to them over Skype or on the phone and just take notes. Um, another event I did just only this couple of weeks ago. Um, I'm, I'm redoing some marketing for another um, seminar and. And I rang the, the the previous attenders and attendees and found out what um, how did they first come across it? What was their first initial um, response to it? Did they you know? And then I asked for another list. I said, "Can you send me a list of people who um, opted in but didn't attend? Because I want to know why they didn't go." You know, so that, again, that's that's really good good feedback. But see, not many you know A class copywriters will go to this level. B grade copywriters will just um, take on the job. They'll, there's a questionnaire that you, you send a stock standard questionnaire you send to your to your your client and the client fills that out based on what he thinks his um, clients want and that's the biggest no-no in this business don't assume you think you know what your clients want you are not your client so you have to I ask them to pass that questionnaire on to um, some of their good customers and and a lot of the times the answers are different mm. Ask them pretty much the same questions again and get them to record it because the verbal answers are different as well. Just, you just cut out a little bit there, but I think I think we got the uh, the picture. You're basically asking your target customer for answers, not what your your client, client. thinks the answers are. Correct. Um, now you said there's five tips. I don't know how many you covered in that answer. <laughs> um, uh, that was one, but I can race through the other. Yeah, four run, very race quickly. through the four, and then I've got something I want to ask follow up. Sure. Second thing I got good at was um, coming up with a big idea. Um, and that's and that comes in the, the research and um, you know coming up with their point of difference and, and something that separates them from the market and something that, that, that the real um, the the real kind of big idea and that's where the money is and and really that's the one thing I got um, a good reputation for in this industry is, is the kind of the, the big idea guy. Example so, again, Brett. Okay, there's um, one client came to me. Um, it, was a, it was a big wig client, and they had a, a, a board of 
people in their suits and they said, oh, Brett, we want you to take on this project. Um, we've even come up with the idea and the angle for you. This is what we want you to do. And they handed it to me. I read through it. And they said, Brett, if you if you just do this and get the sales copy ready, we, we project you'll make half a million dollars in four weeks. And I looked at it um, and came back to them the next day and totally turned their plan on their head and said, listen, that's, that's I don't think this is going to work. I mean, it will work, but if you want it better, I suggest doing this and I suggested doing a, a video sales letter um, and I do a, a pre-launch early bird sequence. Um, so it's more of a, a strategy and, and, and here's the angle I think was, would go and – you know, they, there was there was mixed response because they didn't really. Some of them knew me, knew my reputation. Others didn't, and they were a bit in their corporate world. But luckily for them, they um they took my ideas on board, and um and instead of helping them make half a million dollars in four weeks, I helped them make 1.6 million dollars in two weeks. So they made an extra hundred or 1.1 million dollars two weeks earlier. So in that case, it's it's your idea was. I mean, if you're gonna you're gonna call it a big idea, it's almost like a complete strategic assessment of what they're doing it's it's beyond copy it's 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 actually used business strategy advice yeah yeah that's one but sometimes it, it could be just a cracker headline i know one one guy came to us and said you know he was they were, they were teaching um sales they were doing sales training and um and they wanted to do a lead generation ad in the paper and they they had typical headlines they're using like how to double your sales in you know in 30 days or less and stuff like that and a lot of it they were getting wishy-washy kind of response and so I went through all their material and, and trying to find a better hook to something that was that nothing no one else was doing and they had a um, a guarantee in there that if you don't um, if if you follow if if you follow a system T to T and don't make a hundred thousand um, dollars in 12 months we'll give you your money back so. So the headline I used in the newspaper ad was the $100,000 challenge. And straight away, people reading the newspaper, like, they wanted to read more, what is this $100,000 challenge? And I worded it, lead generation ad, how um, these guys were putting everything in the line and, and had a, a sales training program which guarantees you make $100,000. And, and the opt-ins for this report was just through the roof. So that was a big idea which really um, paid big dividends for them. Um, this, these sort of big ideas almost seem random. Like you don't even know until you do it that that's going to have that kind of dramatic effect. And, and those two examples you just gave are quite diverse. One's a strategic mm. decision to do a, a launch process. The other one's just offering a, a special guarantee and changing the copy to say so. Um, mm. Is it a very creative process? It sounds like it is. It is. And, and here's the thing. Um, a, a lot of people say to me, they say, Brett, you know, your mind mustn't stop. You know, they think it, it and I say, and you're right, it does. But for me to tap into the creativeness, I have to stop and relax almost to a meditative state because, um, and, and a lot of the times, that's why in my office I've got a purpose, I've got a bed in my office because if I get tired, I'll have a, have a sleep because I know in that sleepy state, funny enough, before the sleep or just awake, I wake up from a sleep, that's when my big ideas happen. So, um, because a lot of people say, how do you come up with it? And that's the best advice I can give you is just um, sometimes it's... Um, take a nap. <laughs> yeah. So, so your, your third tip is take a nap, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, okay, wait. Your first tip we've got is do your research. Second tip is, you know, uh, the, the big idea. Yeah. Right? Which sounds mm -hmm. kind of difficult to replicate without, you know, I guess getting into the, the right space. 
I'll look at the time we got on this I thought it's pretty hard but I've got a process with um which I teach people that, that helps them get into that creative space and tap into it but it really comes with the researching to start with yeah. um and and at the, the first one is more become a sales detective you know um so the third thing I got very good at and um got a, a great reputation straight off the bat and you kind of hinted to it unknowingly at the start and that is to write as you speak now as you mentioned you know I don't speak like the most articulate person but that's because you know the the writing um the reading comprehension rate of of um adults is equivalent to a grade nine student or a 13 year old all right so a lot of people seem compelled or to use big words especially when they're right and it, it becomes very um the copy looks very institutionalized and and I don't know where it comes from. It could be ego or whatever. But um, but look, if you really – the idea in getting more sales and conversions is the, the more they read, the more they buy. So you've got to keep them on the page longer. So if you can engage them in a conversational style, whereas your writing style is as if they're sitting across the table with you um, having, a, having a yarn and um, in that kind of conversational um style, then, then they're going to read more, become engaged, and the more they read, the more they buy. So um, – so yeah, look, that's that's a big thing I got very very good at, and um, and and look, and one of my mentors in that area is definitely Gary Halbert. You could read anything from Gary Halbert, and he's just just a raw, general feeling as you read. And it's, I mean, and the best way to do this, yeah, is if 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 you interview someone or if you if you if you want to um, sit in some sit sit down with someone who you feel comfortable with and try and sell them on your product, just record that conversation, you know. Uh, invite them to ask, obje- um, come up with objections and you, you try and deal with them on the spot, but just record the whole thing and get it transcribed. And all you do is you take out the ums and ahs, but you leave everything else in there, like the joining sentences, like, oh, one more thing, or by the way, or let me explain. All those kind of little joining sentences that a lot of people, institutionalised people will tell you to take out, but you leave them in there because that kind of, that's glue that just keeps people, keep people reading. Okay, that's three. Two more to go. Okay, the... Um, the, the next thing I got very good at was um, layout, believe it or not, was kind of layout and design. Um, now, that's something I was never really um, – you don't have to be a graphic artist or anything like that, but see, especially online now, it has to be, have a clean, clean look. You can have a fantastic headline and um, and some good sales copy, but if it's if it's not sitting in a position very well, you call, what you cause is instant um, sales friction. And I'm sure you know Yara. You can go to a site, and before you even read one word, you just it it just has it's just very ugly. Does that make sense? Mm. Um, yep. It does, and there's that, there's that issue of uh, balancing the expectations of the person you're talking to, the target market as well. I find, you know, there's the the hypey sales page, but what's hyped to one person isn't hyped to another. And then there's the toned down sales page, but then that doesn't grab the attention of certain groups, but it's right for the, another group. So it sounds like your research step really would possibly dictate this part as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're spot on because you've got to find out what the mass desire is. You know, you don't want to write just to please one or two people. Um, and sometimes when they your clients give you your ideal client, um, you've got to be careful because the ideal client might not be the mass have mass desire. So, um, so it, it does. Everything comes down to the, the researching, and that's where um, that's where we spend most of our time. A class copywriters spend most of their time doing that. Um, but look, here's some some layout and design tips for you, for the for the listeners here. Um, you know, as as a rule, just 
I have in my mind that most people hate reading. Most people don't want to read what I'm writing, you know. Um, so I try and um, – a lot of people, um, they look at long-form sales and they go, gosh, who's going to read that? You know, no one's going to read those long-form sales. But the answer is the buyers read it, okay, because you don't want to pull it up too short, you know, because if they've still got some unanswered questions and if you pull it up too short, then you've missed it. So they'll read as much as they need to read to get the sale. Okay, now we don't waffle on at all, you know, just for the sake of it. We try and make it as brief and as condensed as we can, but we make sure we overcome every single objection bar none and we hit every single hot button because everyone has different motivating reasons to take action. Um, also, um, from a land design perspective, knowing that most people hate reading, you're going to scare them away if your first paragraph is eight sentences deep. Right, this is different for blog posts, of course. I'm talking about sales material here. So, um, so for instance, the first... The first, um, if they, if they see like a big chunky paragraph, they're not even going to read the first letter of the first word because they've already subconsciously made a decision they're not going to read it because they're too busy. They don't like reading, so so I, I space it out. The first sentence is generally I'm um, just one sentence. The next paragraph is just another sentence. And you know, the most you'll see um, a paragraph from me would be two, maybe three sentences. Right? You'll also notice um, that my sentences are, are only about seven words long. Okay. Um, now, that's not including the A, A, I's, N's, it's, and the small little words, but I try and keep it as, as short as possible so it's easy to digest for the people. So if it's too long and, um, and runs too long, people trip and stumble, then they – so I, um, I also use emotional images, images that, that have an emotional impact, um, and underneath, underneath um, the – the, the images. I also um, one of the best real estates for a copy is, is the caption. A lot of people leave that out, but that's you don't put Fig One as, as the caption. You, you put an emotional headline in there, like um, um, here's a typical. Um, here's what you could be doing with with your lifestyle once you employ X Y Z strategy, whatever. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. So um, so that's something I got um, very good at. Now, the fifth thing I got very good at. Um, is it kind of ties into coming up with a big idea, but it's really coming up with um, show-stopping headlines and bullet points. Okay, now, and and here's the thing: you can be a fantastic copywriter and have all the best sales copy, but if your headline doesn't do its job, then nothing else will get read. So you can have the most outrageously amazing offer, and if 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 your headline doesn't pull them in, then it'll just fall on deaf ears. So I got very good at coming up with headlines that um, created curiosity and, and um, intrigue and, and a desire to want to know more. Um, and, um, and again, it comes down with knowing the market and, um, and, and, and you know, the use of words just to, to evoke emotion. And, um, look, and, and just a, a very quick tip. And I teach this to a lot of people, hardly anyone does it. The ones that do do it see um, instant benefits. And for me to write, i come up with a written headline, I'll set a goal to write 100 headlines. All right? Even if I think I've nailed the headline at number 9 or 10, 13, whatever, I'll be disciplined enough to keep going to the 100 because a number of things. Number one, um, and, and you know this with yourself, Yara, being a writer, when you tap into the flow, right, Sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. But, but sometimes the big idea, it doesn't happen on meditation. It comes in the flow. And so, so when I write headlines, I'll just 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 go for it. I call it a brain dump of a hundred. Mm. 
and I'll just go, 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 go. Um, and and the cool thing is, all those hundred headlines, none of they're not, they haven't gone all to waste. Okay, you might pick um, a, a handful you want to do some split testing with. How do you know? You don't know. You just, I just have this full body shiver experience when I, I think I've nailed it. Um, and all the rest, I'll, I'll filter. I'll turn them into bullet points. I'll filter them through as sub headlines all the way through the sales process. Turn them into email subject lines. And again, that's another big thing. You know, it's really hard to get your your, in, your emails open these days. So, and email subject lines are just many headlines, and that's mm. so it's, it's a great art to have. Yeah, it is a skill that uh, you know every person needs to have on some level. If if you're in in marketing, obviously we all use words to sell. Uh, but you take it to another level, Brett. I, I have to admit, and, and you know, I'm not a fan of writing copy myself. I am curious on your opinion, especially you did mention earlier with the big idea part that you recommended a video sales page. And I know you you've been doing some video sales page work yourself. How how do you take? Uh, what, what's your take on the the I guess the trend of of video sales pages versus the old long form one is do you think one's better than the other nowadays uh is one easier to do like when's the right time to even use a video versus a text one oh, yeah good question man i i honestly believe that um the the way the things are now you'd be crazy not to have video if you're going to sell something because you know when i sp- speak on stage now i'll ask the audience who in the room um reads those long-form sales letter, and I usually get booze. <laughs> <laughs> no, but then, look, a portion of the hands will go up, and then I'll say, and who prefers to, um, if they're looking at a, who prefers to watch a video if, if they're going to look at it, buying something? And surprisingly enough, it's sometimes close to 50-50%. And I thought that was fascinating. I thought that would be tilted way towards videos, but the long videos, are, a lot of people, you know, they're not um, 50% of the room are kind of feeling they're too busy to go all the way through it. They, you know, they can't fast forward it, so they prefer to um, skim read and things like that. Mm. So, but he, here's the point. But the conversions show that in the markets that um, we've been testing is that although it might be a 50-50% of likability, but it's the conversions um, are tilting towards video sales letters are converting more. You're just dropping out again there, Brett. I don't want to leave leave that portion of the market out who who do prefer reading because some um, some of our buyers um, are readers. Just lost another five seconds of you, Brett. We seem to lose five seconds every ten minutes or so of, of microphone right. quietness. So, okay, um, yes. So look, I'm not sure what part we lost, but I'll just say that um, that you know if. Um, uh, the, the testing we've done has, has shown that uh, videos are actually getting higher conversion, even though it's a 50-50 of the market that prefer one or the other, but the conversions are coming through stronger for video sales letters. Um, but me personally, I um, I do both. I do a video and I do a long-form sales letter. And we're just split testing different markets. Sometimes I have the video at the top and the just by itself with no copy and then the magically appearing button that you see Ryan Dice kind of um, do. Mm-hmm. Uh, that can work very well. I've done um, other markets where I've done the video at the top and the long form sales that are underneath. Okay, now, there's an argument that that people can get distracted and get and, and drift away from the message. But and I've I've got other um, another one I'm doing at the moment has got the video sales that are at the top and it's got a little um, link that says click here if you prefer to read, and that um, that brings up a separate window with the long form sales that are. Mm, interesting. Uh, and I think this kind of advice is really subject to testing. You can't really apply it universally across any niche, really, can you? No, that's right. And and to be honest with you, mate, the more that I've been in this, the longer I've been in this game, 
I've really seen the importance of how powerful emails are. And a lot of the times the emails will do the selling and people come to their, your sales page very predisposed. You know, that's uh, that's some of the testing we're doing. I mean, a lot of the Frank Kearns ones saying, hey, dude, here's a cool link, check it out, you know. Mm. And then you're relying on the um, the sales page or the, the video to do that. And he's, he's, he's trained his list and database that way and he's a genius, you know. But but um, if I'm working with clients and they don't – I can't just – put in a frank turn i can't frank you know do that that stuff for them so a lot of my emails um not too long i try and keep them around 250 300 400 words been learning a lot from a guy called ben settle and um and mate just just they they become amazing um a sales tool and they can come very predisposed that's the feedback i'm getting when i've been interviewing people you know Mm. I, I have to get into the mind of you know talking about doing target customer here. The, the, the listener to what we're talking about now, I think most people, if they're like me, uh, which I think, or at least me in the past, I, I haven't wanted to sit down and do the copywriting or, or even write my script for the video if I don't have to. And I've done that when I you know when I felt like I knew my subject well and it would be easy enough to do it off the top of my head. Um, but a lot of people, no matter what, if you're listening to this, they, they very likely need some form of sales tool, whether it's a sales page or a sales video or a landing page or a landing page video to capture those emails. Uh, I think every business who goes online is going to do that. Those are the things we, we use primarily to sell or to collect leads. So if that's the person listening to this, how do you recommend, especially, you know, because there's, there's budgetary constraints here. Not everyone's got 10 grand to do a sales page, especially if it's maybe your first launch or it's an ebook that's only $20. You don't, you know, you don't, can't really go spend 10 grand on a $20 ebook if you're not expecting uh, to sell only a couple hundred copies. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe you can help us you know, guide the decision on how to get your copy done. Is there, uh, a, a good way to do it and, and maybe some of the pitfalls like do people overthink this are there too many variables they're trying to account for and, and how would you recommend they go about getting their sales materials done yeah good question man I mean I, I think um, whether you're going to get someone else to do it or not it's still a skill you need to learn because it, again like Mel said it, it's um, it's the same for me it's the highest paid skill I've ever done in my life um, and and so I think whether you're going to outsource it like Mal does and other people, it's still good to have a good eye for it. And um, so you can – because and a lot of people try and take shortcuts and they get a, a B or C grade copywriter, but that's actually going to cost you more money in the long run, you know, because um, that's, you know, really um, what what you might say on the front end, you'll you'll lose on in, in um, sales at the back end. So um, – but, you know, look, for instance, um, for, for me, you're right, you know, I work – with some of the the biggest um, marketers around the country and sometimes overseas now, um, so for me to do it, it's it's um, you know the starting price is about ten grand. It goes up very steeply. But I've trained a, um, a bunch of um, copywriters called my marketing Avengers, <laughs> and we um, and look we take on we, we find out what clients what the client's budget is and they might say look I've got a I've only got a budget of three grand and um, what can we do so you know um, I, I might co-write with some people just to, to help them out and things like that which we, we, we do a lot of those jobs every month you know um, so look that, that's really your options you know um, depending on where you are but the, the first question I ask anyone is what's your budget you know and I'll design a campaign. Because really, I instantly think big. If someone brings a, a marketing problem to me, I'll see it on a massive scale. But a lot of people don't have the budget 
to account for me to do all that they want. Some do, and they have amazing results. But um, others, we just I just scale it down and, and do maybe phase one, then phase two, then phase three. So we'll get some money in for you from phase one, then you'll have enough money to go to phase two, and, and we roll it out that way. Okay. Well, maybe in two minutes, Brett, we can we can say. For the people who have ten grand, it's pretty obvious they're going to hire someone like you to do that. And mm-hmm. even at three grand, I think you know that that's the kind of money where they feel like they can hire a copywriter somewhere and get the job done. What about those though who do only have two or three hundred dollars? Who, you know, it, they they have an ebook to sell, it's their first ebook, or they have a a membership site and they want to get the sales page done, but they they don't know. They've never done a launch before. They don't know if they're going to make any sales. They're paying for this out of their own savings. Um, mm. they, they can't risk, I guess, spending three grand or five grand or 10 grand without, with it possibly not working. Um, Correct. what's your advice? Uh, look, to be honest, I'd, I'd, uh, yeah, look, honestly, I'd, I'd, I'd get on, on people's lists, um, and, and, and start in a swipe file of good copy, like good, I mean, it's, it's, it's not hard to, to, to get on someone's list who's doing a product launch and collect their emails under a file. Um, and, and also, you know, so I've I've got a, a an a, an open word doc which is titled Cool Subject Lines. If I you know, I'm like everyone else, you start the more and you start delete, delete, delete. But before I delete I always have a look at the subject line. If it creates any kind of intrigue or curiosity, I'll cut and paste and put it in my cool subject lines swipe file. So when it comes time I've got a good base. So they're they're things you can do for free, you know. You look at sales pages then you think, Wow, you know, even if even if I don't even like the subject or the word, not just like the layout, the design, the pictures, the images. I'll just um, swipe their images, and I'm not going to use it. But when I go to my graphic artist, I'll say I want something like this, but not the same, you know. Um, and I like the layout of this, and um, and you look at the headlines, and um, and and look. So you can you can start getting good. I mean, I I, I when I first started, I was very. Um, position where i didn't have any money brett to, we, to we just lost you where you just started saying when i first started okay when i first started i came from a position where i didn't have any money and um and i had to learn this and i, I started with just a book here or there and then and, and um um a, a course you know that i could afford and that's why i came up with a, a um that's why 12 months after i had some great success i developed a um, a copywriting course based at the $49 a month purely for people who just wanted to get started. They can, you know, $49 a month wasn't going to break the bank, but it was, it was, you know, good weekly classes from me teaching them how to master this skill. So that's... Um, What's the URL for that, just in case there's someone listening in who, who is, I get at the start and they only have a little bit of money and they want to do copy for themselves? Yeah, what, well, they... Your, your course? Well, they duck over to... Um, I can duck over to brettthompson.com with uh, Brett with one T and Thompson without a P. Better spell that out from the start, Brett. <laughs> um, sure. Um, B R E T T H O M S O N dot com. Great. Okay. So you've got a course, and obviously, if, if they were interested in hiring you to do it, and they, I think we're pretty clear about what kind of budgets people need, that they can get in touch with you there as well, brettthompson.com. That's um, right. We kind of went into a whole copywriting spiel there and then lost your story for a little bit. Uh-huh. I can I get, get guessed by the feel of where, where you're at now. You pretty much are a, a copywriter for hire as well as a teacher of copywriting. Is that, and this has obviously been your living for a while now. Is that right? Yeah, probably um, the last five, six years. Um, and uh, so on top, I still do um, 
copy for for clients, and I, and I do love teaching. Um, I do a yearly seminar called a seven hour sales letter, which um, people can come in there with a blank screen with their laptop, and then two days later they've got a long form sales letter written, and I teach them how to do that from stage, and that's that's a big win. Um, so I love I love that, but and I also do um, consulting. So a lot of um, a lot of people come to me. And just want some marketing advice because really, to be a good copywriter, you've got to be a good marketer first. So um, yes, yeah, so I'm known as the copywriting guy, but really, I'm I'm more of a, a marketing guy because a lot of the advice I give doesn't, um, and the strategy doesn't um, really take a lot of copy. It might be just some uh, good marketing angle. So, uh, uh, my income is divided up between consulting, copywriting, and and coaching. And I presume you write your own copy then, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, Brett. So, uh, I, I just to paint the picture now, um, you're still living in Australia. You you have a bunch of kids running around still, um, and, yeah. and you're running your home business. Is, are you like me? You're sitting at cafes with your laptop, or how do you how do you live your life? Uh, no, I'm pretty lucky. Of, of uh, lucky to meet the love of my life, Lanika, who's uh, she's a, a professional writer as well, and. Um, she edits everything because if anyone saw the, the unedited version of my copy, they'd never ring me again because it's riddled with spelling and grammar mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and she's a great. We we work together, and she's um, just uh, an amazing, amazing person in my life. So we yeah we we work from home together, and um, and you know spend time with the kids, and um, you know I used to, I've kind of pulled out of the um pulled back in the in the speaking circuit now I do a little bit but just hand 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 pick it you know um it's just all about you know lifestyle and and family time really mm, awesome well uh, Brett we should wrap up the interview just with my my final question and I, I, let let me ask this one because I am I'd like to speak to the people who are I guess looking to follow in your footsteps more than anything because copywriting is clearly a good small business to have um you know it's maybe it's takes a bit of work in the sense you have to learn how to do copywriting but the, the return on investment in terms of you know hours put in uh, seems like it's one of the better paying jobs out there if you were looking for a, a job you could do at home that pretty much required you to do a bit of research and do some writing and uh, working with clients in that way it would appeal to i think a, a large majority of people um, mm. what would be your advice to those people looking to transition away from a full-time job into becoming a copywriter Sure. Well, look, really, uh, just like anything, it goes without saying, but you've got to know your craft. Okay, so you've got to be an avid, you know, student to this. Um, and and really, the, the here's the thing, Yara. There's some um, there's some brilliant copywriters out there, but they just don't know how to get clients. You know, and that's that's the key thing. That, like anything, um, um, and and that's something I got very good at very fast. Was I I was very um bold and brash and had no and just a lot of confidence just to approach some of the big players and say listen i'm a copywriter i'd like to do your stuff whereas i knew there was other copywriters in the room who were very timid and, and held back and they're still kind of scratching around today you know so and that's something i teach my guys is um you know use your skills and get it out there but so number one is is to to become an avid student of the craft um and also um uh, it's it's more of a self-esteem and self-confidence, and this is what I found over time. What what separates a, a good copywriter from a um, an average copywriter is it, confidence in two areas. Confidence, the one first area is, is to have confidence in yourself and your ability and coming up with a big idea and being able to stand in front of a, a client and say, "Listen, that's great, but I've, I have a better idea." You know, so that there's confidence on that level, but there's also confidence in um, 
is putting yourself out there and 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 letting this, and letting people know that um, you're open um, and and just hunting down and just making connections and, and talking to people and people know that you're open and not being afraid to ask. So, but that might not sound as very tangible advice. Yeah, I apologise about that, but you know I talk to wannabe copywriters on a constant basis and that's the areas I often bring them back to. It's just what's stopping you, what are the mental blockages, what you know, you know, find find your niche and that's, that's something I you know, find something that they've maybe done in their past that they're comfortable with, um, and they can target that niche. Because if you become a niche copywriter, then um um and you and more of a specialised in that area, you can um it's it's easy to get clients and you can demand more for, for your money, for your, for your work. Mm. Okay, well, so it sounds like know your craft to get good at it, and then be confident to you know present your knowledge and, and convince people to work with you, and don't be afraid to go after the big guys, and maybe mm-hmm. niche it down too. Especially, obviously, that's always good advice for markets that are getting crowded. If if you are already the best tennis copywriter out there, then you're going to get on <laughs> the tennis websites. Uh, <laughs> you know, right. want to get you to write for them. So. Yes, Brett, um, thank you for joining me on this call, doing the interview. Uh, again, for everyone, uh, your website address is Brett Thompson, uh, dot com. That's where you're, uh, pretty much everything about copywriting and what you do uh, is available at that site. That's also your blog. Good to see that you're blogging, uh, again, on a semi-regular basis. That's awesome. Oh, it and... took me about four years of you convincing me that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, lead by example, huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, Brett, good luck with uh, you know what you're up to in the future. Yeah, appreciate it, mate. It's always a pleasure talking to you, my good friend, and uh, look forward to next time. Thank you, man. And for everyone listening in, if you do want to grab uh, more interviews like this one with Brett and other people who have done their own thing and quit their jobs, start internet businesses, and you know lead their own side of sort of lifestyle, please head to my blog, which is entrepreneurs-journey.com, or you can Google my name. Yarrow, Y-A-R-O, and you'll find my blog and podcast that way. Thank you for listening, everyone, and I'll talk to you on another podcast very soon. Bye-bye.